This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I'll talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, I'll discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join me. Today, my guest is my dear friend, David Leet. He's the author of the fine memoir, Notes on a Banana, a memoir of food, love, and manic depression, and the author of the award-winning The New Portuguese Table. He's the founder and talent behind the great website, Leeds Culinaria. He's a podcaster, one of my favorite YouTube personalities for his videos, frequently co-starring with his partner of many years, who all of us know as The One. And he's currently working on a novel, and he was until recently my co-host on QWERTY, but he needed to move on to make room for his other obligations. So we are considering this his exit interview. Hi, David. I'm Marion. Do you know in my whole life, I've never had an exit interview? This is the first one. You mean you always left before? I always quit. Yeah. yeah. I was crazy, so I quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what happened here. You no. got, wow, new offers, and I'm so thrilled. But I will always be grateful to you for inviting me to start this podcast, and I will shoulder on. So you will. I. I was I had to stop and think mm -hmm. and realized I first read you in Martha Stewart. But yes. I've also I, I made a list. I've also read you in Parade, The New mm. York Times, Martha Stewart Living, of course, Bon Appetit, Savour. I always get that wrong, Savour, mm -hmm. Food and Wine, Gourmet, Food Arts, Men's Health. It just goes on and on. You've been in the Los Angeles Times, the Los Angeles Times magazine, I think, the Washington Post. Yeah. It's wonderful. So I think of you as having this astonishing range, but let's talk about the practical aspects of writing first. Sure. So how much time do you spend in the kitchen? How much time do you spend writing? And how much time do you spend lying on the couch wishing you had gone to law school? <laughs> <laughs> they change and they vary daily. Uh, when ah. I'm working on uh, getting a recipe to be put on the site or some other, like the Washington Post was the most recent publication that I wrote for, I'm in the kitchen a lot more. And mm -hmm. then when that recipe or the food that I'm working with, I've really got under control, then it's going to the keyboard and of course, writing the recipe up, making sure it works, getting it tested by the recipe testers on my website, and then digging into the article or the post or the opinion piece or whatever it is that mm -hmm. goes along with the recipe. So it does vary. Lying on the couch, wanting to have wondered if I should have been a lawyer happens probably weekly. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're doing really well as far I, as yeah, I'm I concerned. I think so. Yeah. It's when you wonder if you should be doing something else that we get You know a that you're doing of, a good job. Yeah. I, that's what I think. You know, because that's, that's when it gets hard. You yeah. know, and that's yeah. when you want to walk away from it. And when it's getting hard is when you know you're on to something. I agree. 
I agree. If this was easy, every brain surgeon would do it. You and know I what do I'm not saying? trust people who say, I love to write. Oh, I write all day long. Right. I have a wonderful time just writing. I write, 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 write. And right. I'm thinking, wow, that's not me. If I get 500 words a day that I like, it's a good day. It's a good day. Mm -hmm. And that's a terrific reminder. And I think of all of us, of, of writers, as being part of a a system. In other words, the big ones, Emily Dickinson and Chaucer and Shakespeare are the rivers and we're tributaries and we, we trickle in, we contribute. We absolutely are all contributing to this great, big, very nourishing waterworks of writing. But when I think about food writers in particular, I think of a sort of a, a long taxonomy that I have. I can remember my very first food writer I ever read was Calvin Trillin reading yes. American Fried as part of a oh. journalism course in college. Mm -hmm. And I literally went nuts after that and mm -hmm. dove into, and I remember the order, A.J. Liebling, M.F.K. Mm -hmm. Fisher, Mo yep. Nora Ephron, and Mater Joffrey later on. I mean, there's sort of this one led to the other, maybe one mentioned the other. But I wonder, who are yours? Like, what's your sort of skimming stones across the, the top of the water of food writers? Or who were your first and, and then subsequent influences? Well, some of the first, Calvin Trillin was one of the earliest for me. Uh, Jeffrey Steingarten, The Man Who Ate Everything, was I one of his books. Book. He has two of them. I, I think he is such a magnificently eloquent and funny and arch writer. And I met him several times. He is very meticulous with what he does. He is very careful. And I appreciate that. MFK Fisher, of course, I've, I've read. Laurie Colwyn, I've read. And, um, you know, although he's not a food writer, I've he's done some food writing, is David Sedaris. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I just, I cackle when I read David Sedaris. And there are so many others that through time I pick up and then I, I, I drop and I pick up again. And Ruth Reichel, some of her earlier memoirs mm -hmm. I thought were wonderful, Tender at the Bone, I think is really a beautiful, beautiful book. It is. And those are some of the major influences or the major uh, people that I, I turned to early on in my career. God, you reminded me, Jeffrey Steingarten, there's a, a tiny chapter in there about getting on a plane at LaGuardia in New York with a bowl of bread starter in his lap. Right, and he yes. flies to Albany and then drives to, I believe it's Saratoga Springs, mm -hmm. to have his bread starter tested by this bread maker in upstate mm -hmm. New York. And yeah. now I haven't read that chapter in... 25 years, years yep. right? But it stays with you. Mm. And Lori right? Colwyn, yes, mm -hmm. everything she ever wrote. And she died so tragically young. What a terrible loss. Yes, oh. absolutely. So you jumped on the on the online world, despite being a writer and and, and knowing what you wanted to do, mm -hmm. you jumped on the, on, on the online world the minute it seems like the internet was available to be populated and you made a space for yourself. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you have this long history and it shows in your website. It's just mm -hmm. so textured and layered. Do you think there's still space online for today's emerging writers, of, of food writers specifically? That's a great question. I think there is. But what's happening, the thing that I see, which I find very sad, is everyone's mimicking everyone else. Mm. And even photographic styles are looking like everyone else's, and the writing style is like everyone else's. And everyone has become, forgive me, 
a lot of these writers I know online are becoming Google's bitch, if you will, because what happens is Google will want all these different things with the algorithms. So everyone jumps on these bandwagons and I've done it to, to a degree, but I think some of the things that Google requires, like they want to have people are peppering their, their articles or their posts with all these questions, these head, these headers that have questions in them. Right. And they're repeating all these SEOs over and over again, that it's, it's basically destroying great food writing. And Boy, I find that sad. So I is there space, right? Isn't it sad? Yes. It, and it's true for writing, it's, writing, it's true in writing prompts. It's true in anything that has to do with learning how to do something. They're mm -hmm. just, it, I think I think the SEO bitch or Google's bitch is a, is a really great phrase. And I'm I think, not Google's bitch would make a nice t-shirt. <laughs> oh, that would be a great one. <laughs> if, I think there's a place, if a writer is, first of all, talented and dedicated to his or her craft, has something to say and says it their way, in time they will find an audience. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that. Now, it will take longer now because there's so much static out there and there are so many other people doing it, but you cannot replace voice and you cannot replace individuality. Mm -hmm. If people stop mimicking or, or if a writer stops mimicking others, I think he or she will find their own place. They'll find their own tribe, if you will. Well, I agree with you. It's about brand. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read your Wikipedia listing, but it refers to you as a humorist, which made no. me incredibly happy. <laughs> and it goes on to say that you, quote, bring a skewed and funny sensibility to the world of food. And mm. I, I would have preferred That's it nice. if they'd said skewered, because I think it would be more on brand. <laughs> but how, you just made a very good point. How much of your brand is humor, do you think? I think it's a lot of it. Mm -hmm. uh, because for me, humor is, we, our mission is to educate, to entertain and educate, and in that order for the website. It really is important for me to entertain because I think when you are entertaining, messages get across, information gets across. Um, you have a little bit more wiggle room, and there's more of a buffer. If you're talking about more, difficult subjects. You can get awake. When I talked about mental illness and bipolar, by using humor, it it made people more willing to read it. It wasn't mm -hmm. this heavy piece. And the book isn't, you know, there's a lot of, as you know, you helped me with it as you were as my coach, that there's a lot of very heavy parts to the book, but there's a lot of humor and it balances it. So I feel for me, humor is something that's just so innate in my personality as it is in yours that I would be remiss if I didn't have it there. If there mm -hmm. wasn't this skewed sensibility, uh, the Wikipedia thing, if there isn't that kind of like weird perspective on things, it wouldn't be me. And one of the greatest compliments I hear from writers, uh, excuse me, from readers and also some friends of mine say, when I read your work, I can hear you talking. And that mm -hmm. is something that I work very, very, very hard on. And it's not just writing conversationally, but it's writing rhythmically. It's writing syntactically. It's mm -hmm. writing with longer or shorter sentences. Where do you use rhyming or any kind of clanging or alliteration? Those kind of things are important to me because I want to be able to get something across. Mm -hmm. And I want to slip it in, like sort of like stealthily slip in maybe a message about something. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. And when I look at your career and I think about the milestones, and there are milestones here, and I know you don't read your own reviews. I know you didn't even yeah, used no. to listen to our, our I podcast. No, I've not listened to You're one too of them. Funny. So I know you didn't read your Wikipedia <laughs> entry because I just know you, but I figured I had to set that question up. But <laughs> I also know how hard it's been. For mm-hmm. you to get to the work, because we've Very. talked about it, and yes. your first your your book, the New Portuguese Table, won the 2010 first book Julia Child Award, and it's an right. it's an amazing achievement. But in in your case, it's an even bigger achievement than most people know, because there's a remarkable mm-hmm. story about how you came into yourself when you mm-hmm. came home to your cooking, and yeah. it's one that you've chronicled in several places, but. So let's talk about how you do that. You've got this amazing backstory, first of all. Um, you know, in just a few sentences, the background that I remember so well is you went on this trip to Portugal yeah. where you literally go to the home of your ancestors. You ask to, you knock on the door. When you they open the door and they realize who you are, one of the many things you ask is to be shown a wall oven that your family mm-hmm. had told you about. And until that time, you had kind of been unhappy and searching, and you had tried acting, you had tried waiting tables, you had worked in marketing and more, and then this. But what I find so wonderful about this story is that it's it's so about how you got really to your true home. It's like Dorothy yeah. and her red shoes. You know, you mm-hmm. you had it on you all the time, but you got to this cooking person. Mm-hmm. But what fascinates me also is I've read it from different points of view in various places. So. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? How? What's the secret to having this one totemic moment in life and using it? You used it in your memoir a little mm-hmm. bit. You used it elsewhere. How do you do that? How do you have one story that you can use in several different ways? Wow, another great question. This is why you are so much better at this podcast than I ever was. These are great <laughs> questions, really. Um, oh. I think part of it is for me, I didn't know it was totemic when Ah. I was experiencing it. I just know that I was feeling. And it was in the years after that of processing it and then witnessing behavioral change and not really understanding where it was coming from. For instance, what I mean by by behavioral change was I always eschewed Portuguese cooking. As you mm-hmm. know, growing up, I never I just wanted to be the blonde hair, blue-eyed, adopted child of Darren and Samantha Stevens on Bewitched. You wanted to be the, the, the son that the Bewitched couple had. That they, exactly. You know, they, yeah. I, and I that know. was me. And <laughs> I noticed that after this trip, because my grandmother had passed on and she was a very important person uh, in my life, my mother's mother, I noticed that after that trip, I started cooking Portuguese cuisine. I started mm-hmm. cooking a lot more Portuguese food. I was more interested in traveling to Portugal. I had never traveled. I traveled once before that trip, but but no other time. I wrote a piece in Bon Appetit about Lisbon. Mm. And then other, other places I, I wrote about too. Some of those did precede that. But it was noticing what was appearing on the table. Mm. And I thought, what loosened inside? What was that thing that loosened in me? that I now want to embrace my heritage. Mm-hmm. And it was after that trip, I think that the the ultimate action that I took was I became a Portuguese citizen. I have dual citizenship. I wanted to embrace the country. And it connected me that time going to my father's house um, where he grew up and seeing that wall of and that I'd heard about so much of all the food that came out of there connected me 
to history and connected me to to a it 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 can it related me to my mm-hmm. relatives. Yes, it did. I always wanted to be above and better than and different from and aside of my Portuguese heritage and and my Portuguese relatives. And then I realized there was such nobility in these people mm-hmm. and there was such courage in doing what they did of leaving this country with nothing because they were very poor and starting anew as adults. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I would argue that because it's so totemic and you didn't really know it at the time, it allows mm-hmm. for five or six different pieces to be written from that moment, but that are each argue something else, that each yes. point out a different important life mm-hmm. awareness moment. I know, literally argues something else because that's. Mm-hmm. I think people think once you, you tell it once, you go, oh, oh, but I don't want to use it up in a, in a in a in an essay yeah. because I want to save it for my book. No, argue it one mm-hmm. way in the essay, and I'm not saying to change your mind like sometimes no. be for it or against it. That's not it. But I mean, present it to us as a story about one thing in one publication and a story about something else in another. That story has so many refracting sides. It's like mm-hmm. a crystal and it's well, so beautiful. It's interesting you say that because I think a totemic moment, which just came to me, is like a marriage. A marriage over the course of many years becomes many different things. Mm-hmm. And with this totemic moment, when I was in the moment, it meant one thing, connecting to what I'd heard. And then later it became about heritage and roots. And then later it became something else. And then later it became something yes. even more. Huh. And if something is totemic, it is so layered like a marriage, that it means many different things at many different times. Mm -hmm. And that's why we can return to it again and again. And some of the greatest writers have always returned. William Kennedy, we talked about recently when we had that podcast with him, returned to Albany over and over Over again. Who would think Albany would have nine books in it? You know, But it does with William because it means so much to him. Yes. Yes, I love that. I think that's so interesting. And I and I think you're such a good example of that. That wonderful story not only allowed for the life that you lead now, but has allowed for several different takes on it. And I mm-hmm. try to make that point with people and, and I hope people will go read you widely and see what I mean by that. Speaking of reading widely, you and I interviewed mm-hmm. Zoe Francoise a couple of months ago for Cordy. And that would be Zoe Francoise, who's the author of uh, the books that total, what did she say? Um, gee, it slips my mind, 800,000 oh, copies in print. Close to, yeah, it's probably a million now. Yeah, the way not it that we hate her. I mean, we tried, <laughs> but it's impossible. She's thoroughly gorgeous inside and out. She's generous. Oh She's delightful and damn her five-minute bread really works. So it does. let's just talk about those food writing superstars. We touched a little bit mm-hmm. on is there room in, online for the newbies, but mm-hmm. what's the what's the recipe for that kind of superstardom? I mean, you and I know in common several of these people. Right. And what makes somebody rise to the top like that? Do you think it is the brand? I mean, we talked about humor. We talked about brand. But mm. what do you think it is that keeps Zoe... I mean, obviously she had a brilliant idea in the five minute bread, right. which she told us all about. But how about the other ones, the David Leibowitzes, the whomever? Mm-hmm. What is it? Mm-hmm. Well, you look star? at Zoe Francois, you look at Matt Her Jeffrey, you look at David mm-hmm. Leibowitz, mm-hmm. you look at Ruth Reichel, uh, you look at, um, I'm just trying to think some other, just tons of them who have been around for a very long time. I think what keeps them there is they're genuine. 
They are who they are to their audience. They're not trying to, again, mimic other people. And Zoe is Zoe. There's a, there's a bubbliness, a vivaciousness. There's a, a great lust for life and finds so much humor in what she does. She just really enjoys life. And when we shot a video with her, you can see that. With David, there's a deep, deep, deep curiosity about France. And he also, in Paris, and he also holds Paris at a bit of a distance. He finds, he sees the humor in some of the absurdity that we all experience wherever we live. And Matt heard Jeffrey, of course, Jeffrey just, there's such a deep well of knowledge there. And she brings so much understanding and so much class and so much uh, culture to what she does, but they're all just continuing to do what they do. They they don't wobble. They're not weebles that wobble and fall over. They're not that. They stay they they stay the line. They yes. they they tow the line through thick and thin. There are times, look, poor Zoe, think about the whole you know, keto thing that's going on. People don't want to have carbs. They don't want to have sugar. Everything she does is desserts, yet she still is very popular because right. of who she is. She told us and, all about her relationship to sugar in the first questions that she- Yes, she did. And she's not wavering from that. So Mm-mm. just to take this one step further, as we, because we've talked now about you know giving really good advice to young writers, your website, Leeds Culinaria, it's it's just mm-hmm. a smorgasbord of language and cooking advice and recipes. My mm-hmm. and I love the column "Never Cook Naked," by the way, <laughs> right. which I sent to my husband recently when I watched him um, putting soap in our cast iron pan for the four hundred. Such is what I said to him. Enough with the soap already, but exactly. Um, but in other words, you know, with 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 pages like "Never Cook Naked." This is not your mother's cooking site. And so how and with what sense of oneself should a young cooking writer approach getting to know herself? I mean, how do we best interpret ourselves and give the audience that sense? Zoe does it. She's bubbly. Even her curls Mm -hmm. are bubbly. I know. You're funny, right? But are we going to try stuff and fail? You've said, don't imitate. Okay, we've got that. But how do we say to ourselves as cooking writers, who am I in this world? Well, you've raised a very good point. Yes, don't imitate, meaning don't simply start going out there and trying to be me or trying to be Dory Greenspan or mm-hmm. try to be Zoe. But there's nothing wrong in your in your exploration to do that. I used to do this exercise where I would take the first paragraph of Jeffrey Steingarten's, one of any of his articles, then I would take one of A.G. Liebling. I would take one of all these different food writers and I would read it and then I would immediately start writing, trying to write in their voice, whatever it was that came to me. Just so I could start going, okay, what really works for me? Where do I like going? And, you know, MFK Fisher's an incredible writer. I can't do that stuff. No. That's not what I do. No. I found myself being very drawn to Jeffrey, being very drawn to to David Sedaris. Those mm-hmm. that's the area that I I found myself going toward. And I realized, you know, humor is such a part of who I am. And I like to do that. And so I think there's nothing wrong in experimenting and imitating others to really get yourself. Even you think about the old way, uh we're talking, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, how a young painter would learn to paint. They would work with a master. Mm-hmm. And they would they would apprentice with a master. They would do a lot of the sometimes the initial work, and the master would come along and and then take it from there. But they were learning to do it in that style. And even in art school, when I was an uh, an art major, we would sometimes copy masters. Uh, not paint painting. I didn't do painting, fine arts, but I was doing um, 
communication, but we would sometimes just kind of loosen our muscles that way just to mm-hmm. kind of get into the kind of the, the artistic history of it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But then once you find where the weight of your talent lies, that's where you start putting roots down. Hmm. Find where the weight of your talent lies. That's a lovely phrase. And I, I love the word weight in there and, and you can feel it. I wrote a piece on my blog not long ago about voice, about finding yes. your own voice. Very and good piece. after a very smart friend of mine said the following thing to me, we're only dishonest when we're afraid. And yes. I just felt my whole being settle down when she said that to me. And I thought mm-hmm. that's the lesson about voice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We, it is. It's not being, I mean, we're not dishonest in the bad sense, when we imitate, when we walk on the coattails, when we try to sing the song the way it's sung by William Kennedy, we're not dishonest. We're trying to get to a gracious place. But at some point, you'll feel the weight of your own self, and that's the weight to follow. That's that's just a very good thing to contemplate, I think, as we go forward. So as you go forward, you're changing. You're doing new yeah. things. I know, because talking to you, I, I hear about these and I watch these videos you're making. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now that's new so people can follow along and, and understand this ever expanding platform that is David Leet? Sure. Well, I am working on a novel, but I think I'm not a normal, well, maybe I am a normal person, a writer. It comes and it goes, it ebbs and it flows. I hate it and I put it away, then I bring it back out again. <laughs> You know, when you have a memoir, you can hate the you can hate the process of putting it down, but you know the plot. It's kind of hard not to know the plot of your own memoir. Yeah. But with a novel, you know, sometimes I go, I know exactly what it's going to be, and then I go, God, no, I don't. That's the plot to, you know, Oedipus or something, and and then you kind of go, okay, I'm I'm putting it away. So I I am going back and forth on that, and moving into 2020, we're going to be doing a lot more. A lot more video on the site because mm-hmm. I think that, well, first of all, it's a, one of those Google bitches things that we need to do. Yeah. But people have been asking for it a lot more. People have always taken to the one in myself in words and mm-hmm. in stories. Mm-hmm. And I was very delighted by that. I didn't think it was the right thing to do with it. At first, I thought maybe they'd have a problem with you know me talking about my partner who's a man. Uh, and it, no one did. And then when we started doing videos, I was very surprised at how much it hit. So we're mm-hmm. doing more videos. Mm-hmm. I am. I've been threatening this now for I don't know how many years. I'm going to resurrect our podcast, Talking With My Mouthful, mm-hmm. with my editor-in-chief, Renee Shetler-Rossi. And there is ideas being tossed around of possibly doing a cookbook. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of that. And also there's, you know, there is some family issues with my my dad. And, mm-hmm. and I am taking some time to really spend time with my family Good. and to um, – to do some, I guess you could say, wrapping up with my dad, because my dad is very, very ill. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotion that has to be dealt with. And there's a lot of, there's going to be stories, I'm sure, that will come out of that. And mm-hmm. I'm sure some writing, because you really always taught me, you never really know what you feel until you write about it. Well, and that and take and, notes. Just yeah. take notes. And so I wanted to be able to kind of move in certain directions, but also protect a part of my life. 
in a way that I can take care of myself and be with my my parents. And so that's important to me. Well, so that's really like the next year for myself. Well, good. Well, and I appreciate that. And I'm and we wish you th- just the very best with it because everything you teach us enriches our lives. So before I let you go, I want to bring mm-hmm. up probably the most important question I can ask you. And mm-hmm. that's like, let's talk roasted applesauce, please, before you leave. Because <laughs> damn. And right. I never thought to roast the apples, she said, between clenched teeth until I read right. your recent post about doing so. So mm-hmm. let's just give the readers, just please give us a visual to to exit with. What does food inspiration look like? Like, do you suddenly wake up at 4 a.m. and shout, candy ginger in the roasted apples, and run around in your pajamas? Like, <laughs> where you does know, this come from? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I am never cleaner than when I'm trying to come up with ideas. Oh. I get them in the shower. Oi. I There's get them a in the visual. shower. Okay, right? now we have that visual. I was hoping for sort of running around in your pajamas, but okay. So you run out. Do you run Me out in the of shower. the shower? Do you stay in the shower? How does this work? I stay you, in the shower. And as a matter of fact, my old assistant, Annie, when she was working with me, gave me as a gift a pad that you would put. It was waterproof pad that you no. put in your shower stall oh, so you could take notes. Fabulous. Crazy, and I, I really do get ideas when I take a bath or I'm taking a shower or, you know, also with you, you say you'll walk the dog. Mm-hmm. It's when your mind is not trying to come up with an idea mm-hmm. that something crowds in. Mm-hmm. There's something I find when your mind, when you relax the muscle of your mind, mm-hmm. you're making space for things to come in. Because I do believe that the mind is always trying to find something. There's always this, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And so it's when I'm not trying to come up with an idea, not trying to figure something out is when I figure it out. Well, this is why I have a notebook tied to the gear shift in my car because for me, and I, me it's up. terrible. But I, when I'm driving, when I'm fully engaged in not killing myself or others, of course, I start writing leads in my head. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that's exactly what does happen. Uh, the same mm-hmm. thing happens when I have my sharpest knife and I'm chopping vegetables. Sometimes exactly. I'll actually say to my students, just go down, chop some vegetables with the most dangerous knife in your drawer. And trust me, <laughs> that lead will come to you. So I, I just I just love that idea that we can have this picture of you in the shower writing, <laughs> writing <laughs> candied ginger and roasted applesauce. Yeah, that's, there where you you, go. that's where you get it. Well, there you go. thank you. I could talk to you all day and on occasion. As I could. I have been lucky enough to do so, but it's time you went back to work, young man. And, yeah. and I went back to work and stopped all this frivolity, but not before saying thank you. Thank you, my friend, also. And I, I have a message for your listeners. Oh. I just want to let you know, all of you, you are in extraordinarily good hands. I've known Marion for several years now. She was so instrumental in helping me get my book out. She challenged me. She helped me. She educated me and she became a friend and she will to all of you. Anyone who's interested in writing, you're in the right place with the right person. Thank you. David Lee can be found online at Leeds Culinaria and in the bookstore with his new Portuguese cooking and his fabulous memoir, Notes on a Banana. Get those wherever books are sold. Want more? I run full transcripts of all episodes on my website, marionroach.com, which is where you can also learn about the many online classes I teach in how to write memoir. Meet me there. <laughs>